welcome to the inaugural episode of Pilgrim Talk, Theology for Sojourners. I'm John Sweat, and this is my co-host, Spencer Grusing. Hey, hey. In our very first episode, we're going to discuss the importance of theology for every Christian, and how studying theology, in particular from the lens of a pilgrim, tethers theology to the ground of application, rather than allowing theology to float off into the ivory tower of abstraction. But before we get started, I just want to remind you to rate us on your favorite podcaster, share this episode with your friends, feel free to leave any comments or questions to our Facebook page, which you can find by searching in the Facebook search bar, Theology for Sojourners, no spaces, Theology for Sojourners. But let's get this episode kicked off. So Spencer, what we want to begin, uh, how we want to begin this podcast is by sharing with our listeners uh, why theology matters and beginning with that very fact that all human beings are created for theology. Um, every single human being, man and woman, is created for theology. But when you're, when you're talking to someone, uh, typically, um, when you begin to talk to them, they're going to begin to share some things about themselves that they think are the most important things about them. Um, and maybe you would even ask someone, hey, what is the most important thing about you? And what are some answers someone might give to that, Spence? Oh, man. Uh, well, I think today, uh, particularly in the United States where we're at right now, uh, it's November 18th, and uh, we are in the middle, uh, unfortunately still in the middle because there's a lot of debate uh, and lawsuits going on over uh, the presidential election. And um, tension is incredibly high all over social media, all over the news. Um, and I think, unfortunately... Uh, a lot of people would open up with, you know, what's the most important thing about me? Well, you know, this I'm I'm on this side of this uh, of the political spectrum, um, which definitely says something about you, right? It says something about your beliefs and everything, but uh, it's not the most important thing about you, even though you know some people believe that today for sure. Uh, what are some other things you think? Someone would say the most important thing about me is what I do for a living. Yeah. Or what hobbies I'm good at or what kind of unique music or art or uh, movie uh, genre that I'm into Uh, could be someone's uh, most important thing about them is the fact that they're a parent or that they're a husband or a wife or they live in a particular place or they've had some unique experience in their life. And that's what they think the most important thing is about them. Now, granted, all those things are, uh, can be and are good things, but that's, those things are, are secondary to the most important thing about a person. What is, what is the most foundational, uh, defining and critical thing, uh, about a person, Spencer? Um, it would have to come down to what they believe about God what they believe about God and, and getting even more foundational for a second, the fact that they're made in the triune God's image. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So they've, they've been created the, the creator of the world has created every man and every woman, woman in his likeness. God has clothed man with his glory, right? There's this picture of God clothing man with his image and now he represents God, and he is to image and to um, 
to shine forth the glory of God and the way that he uh, fills the earth. And we could go to Genesis 1 and see in particular what man is to do in the original creation. But I think the Westminster Shorter Catechism is correct when it says that man's chief end is to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so fundamental to what it means to be human is to be created for theology, to be created to grow in communion and union with the God who has made us in his image. And so every single person has been created for theology. And this indeed continues after the fall, though the image of God is marred after the fall, after sin and death come into the world, uh, mankind is still uh, in the image of God, though some things have been lost and that image has been marred. And so that then means even in this present moment, whether you're a pagan, which is simply an, uh, uh, another word uh, for an unbeliever, whether you're an unbeliever or a Christian, everyone, everyone is a theologian. Everyone has thoughts about God. Everyone has a theology of God, a doctrine of God, from the atheist to the agnostic, uh, and then to many other religions who proclaim that they believe in uh, some higher being that they call God. But the question is, if everyone's a theologian, the question is, are you a good theologian? Right, exactly. That's the key. Because there's really one true and living God. And so really, we could boil all of humanity and their weird beliefs and practices. We can divide all of humanity into two groups. Believers and the triune God and unbelievers. That's, that's really all there is. So even though we live in a plurality, uh, pluralistic culture with many beliefs about God and eternity and morality, there's basically, not basically, there is two categories, believer and unbeliever. Those who have uh, uh, trusted and taken hold of Christ and have been brought into communion and union with God and those who have still in their sin rejected that God who has created them for his glory. And yet they refuse to worship and honor him as such. So that then, just to to make this tie-in before we move on to our next point, that then means if you're listening and you are an unbeliever or you're unsure what this Christianity thing is, we would uh, encourage you, beg you. If you were sitting here in my dining room with me, I would implore you, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true, true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. God the Father has sent God the Son to bring about redemption for sinners. And friend, if you will look to Christ and repent of your false idols, repent of your sin, repent of your self-righteousness and take hold of Christ. He is a perfect Savior, and He will bring you back into communion with God who has created you, with the God whom you've been created to worship and glorify and enjoy. So if everyone is created for theology spins, that brings us to the contours of theology, and that that uh, you know we've already been in this conversation for, for a few minutes now, but we, we have yet to answer a fundamental question. What is theology? 
Oh, man. Yeah. And you could go to any uh, seminary library or theological uh, book collection and find some incredibly deep definitions of theology, right? Uh, Getting really into the nitty gritty portions of it. Um, That said, I think the most basic definition is literally thinking about God. Yeah, sure. So, what theology is the is the study of God, the mm-hmm. uh, th- thoughts about God, and we're going to unpack that a, a little bit more as we get to the goal. But yeah, and it's bare bones. There's certainly more sophisticated uh, definitions out there, but just bare bones. The bare bones uh, theology is the study of God. And what books do we have to study uh, to study theology? Well, we have uh, a couple. Namely, the first is going to be uh, creation itself, right? Because creation is going to reflect its creator. And so uh, there's a couple of places in, in scripture even that, that describes how nature itself, how creation itself tells us things about God. Um, some of those places are Psalm 19. Uh, Romans 1 specifically says um, that we can learn about God's eternal uh, power and his invisible attributes through creation uh, simply by being a creature, right? All of us are creatures. All of us are instilled. We have an innate knowledge of God, but we also learn about God uh, from nature. Another uh, book or another uh, area that we can learn about God is scripture itself, God's word, uh, the Bible, 66 books uh, of the Protestant Bible to be specific. Um, And there will never come a time in human history where we exhaust uh, right all of all of the knowledge that we can that we can glean from scripture about God uh, but we've certainly uh, we certainly have a lot already at our hands right yeah absolutely God is in is knowable yet uh, you know he's infinite yet he's you know he's uh, inexhaustible uh, he has revealed himself clearly both in the book of nature and in the book of scripture. And yet there is a sense that as finite creatures, as we seek to continue to grow in our knowledge of God, we are but scratching the surface. Right. And so we have the book of nature, the book of scripture, and in a few episodes, we're going to talk about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, are those two books at odds with one another? Does one have priority over another? Um, but as we study theology, we're looking at the book of nature, creation, our conscience, and we're looking at the book of scripture. Has God given us a context in which we are to do theology? Is it just our closet and our Bible? No, no, it's not. And while we, while we certainly affirm that, uh, what about our back, what about our back porch with our Bible laid out and our Instagram post ready to go? (laughs) Is that it? It's pretty popular uh, to do today. Um, and obviously, right. Any, any believers can get anything, uh, out, out of scripture by doing that, right? Like personal study, private study is super important, right? We, we don't, we don't disagree there at all, but, uh, specifically we're supposed to take those things and, and test them. Right. And so, uh, one of the most important things that God's given us to test what we learned from scripture is, uh, the local church. Right, so so a local body of believers that we can gather with, that we can pray with, that we can worship with, that we can study the scriptures uh, together with, um, and learn and learn about God. 
Yeah, and, and two things from that, both doing theology within the context of the church, in particular a local church in which you've covenanted to a membership where you are sitting under sound teaching, but also hopefully having conversations about scripture with the other believers who are in that body. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, there is uh, in one sense, when we do theology within the local church, it is another thing, another tent peg, if you will, that keeps theology tethered to the ground from moving out of abstraction. We're dealing with real people with real issues and the scripture and the theology within the scriptures has something to say about those things and how, uh, how the doctrines within the pages of scripture do come to bear on the, the many trials and situations and adversity and, uh, and all, and all of our lives that we face as Christians in this, in this fallen world. But not only that, uh, the the church moving beyond the local church and moving even into the into the past, uh, church history and historical theology, the creeds and confessions, serve as bumper rails, if you will, uh, to keep us from falling off the cliff of heresy. Uh, think of bumper rails like at the bowling alley when you uh, go bowl uh, on the same lane your kids are on, and the bumper rails are up, and it's to keep you from going in the gutter. This isn't to say, by the way, that creeds and confessions and catechisms are uh, ultimate um, standards of authority. Only scripture uh, holds that place. But it would be foolish and arrogant, either individually or even within your local church, to approach the Bible as if you're the first person that the Holy Spirit has illuminated the truth of scripture to. It would be arrogant, foolish, and dangerous to approach the Bible and to ignore the many men and women who have done great work on the the theology and the exegesis uh, from the pages of Scripture. Um, So the book of nature, book of Scripture, and we're to do theology within the context of the church. That then brings us to the third aspect of, uh, you know, we're looking at these contours of theology. What is the goal of studying theology? Yeah, so you mentioned the Westminster Shorter Catechism earlier. And I I really think question one uh, of that same catechism just puts it so succinctly and, and very uh, very appropriately. Um, so the question is what is what is the chief end of man? Um, and the answer is uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And uh, so I would I would definitely say that that the goal of theology, that the ultimate takeaway, is that uh, we would know God better so that we can glorify him more and enjoy him more. Yeah, absolutely. The the study of theology uh provokes in us um provokes in us as we uh, encounter the drama of scripture and we we come to face to face with the God uh who is the center of the drama who is working out this this story of redemption. We're moved to worship, we're moved to doxology, we're moved to uh, praise of him. And then we're conformed more and more as, as, uh, more Christ-like disciples. And so there's, there's orthodoxy, right? Right doctrine always leads to orthopraxy. Sound doctrine always leads to, uh, experiential devotion. They go hand in hand. And the ultimate goal, as you said, uh, of studying theology is the glory of God. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? And 2 Corinthians 14 picks up on this, that as we behold the glory of the Lord, this vision, as we see the glory of the Lord, we ourselves are transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit. So theology in one sense is simply beholding, worshiping, and obeying the God who has revealed himself to us in Scripture and, and primarily through Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. And uh, maybe one more thing on this before we go to a few objections. There's this uh, great picture that the New Testament gives us as Jesus uh, encounters the man who is demon-possessed with uh, multiple demons. Uh, he's the, the maniac of Gadara, and he Jesus casts the demons out into a herd of pigs, and they run off into the off the cliffside into the ocean or into the Sea of Galilee, I believe it is, and they drown themselves. And the townspeople begin to come out because they've heard of what has happened, uh, that the maniac has had these demons cast out of him, and these, these pigs have killed themselves. And when the townspeople get out there to where Jesus is at, the text tells us just rather uh, chalantly that they, they, when they get there, they, they find the man who had been possessed by the demons. They find him sitting at the feet, clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And in one sense, as disciples, we are sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Wanting to know more and more and more about him. So what would you say to someone then, uh, someone maybe even well-intentioned, and they don't even mean it, uh, they, they have no ill intention at all, but they, they, they say, I don't need theology. I just need Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that statement itself presupposes a certain knowledge about Jesus, right? Because they say, I don't need theology. I just need Jesus. Okay, well, well, who's, who's Jesus? Who, who are you talking about here? Uh, and why is he what you need, right? And, and I get the statement, right? Especially in today's culture, there seems to be more of a striving after an emotional experience in worship that is at odds with an intellectual um, knowledge of God, right? So an intellectual learning about God and they they would pit the two together. And un unfortunately, right. In reality, that's not the case of, of theology, right? So uh, Herman Bavink actually in his reform dogmatics uh, volume one, page 570 says there is, in fact, no road to the human heart other than that which runs through the head and the consciousness. And so essentially what he's getting at is in order to affect our heart, in order to affect our emotions, we have to have a knowledge there that is informing those emotions, right? We have to have a knowledge there or an idea there that our mind is having a response to and giving us those emotions. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe to put it this way, and uh, that quote from Bavink is gold in response to this objection, theology that merely remains in the head and never makes it to the heart is yeah. dead. Right. But theology that begins with experience and emotion and never arrives at any sound doctrine rooted in the scriptures is empty. Right, all head, it's dead. All heart, it's empty and it's vain. 
It's man-centered. So we want theology to be both uh, orthodox, sound, and true, rooted in the scriptures, but also a theology that then in turn reaches the heart and the hands. Absolutely. That is so key. Holistic. Uh, we might not need to uh, move on this one, honestly. We've kind of already covered this, but the, another sentiment is uh, this. Theology kills the church experience and love for Jesus What is is what the church needs. Yeah, and just just like you said, we kind of already hit on that a little bit, but it, it's it's fleshing out that that pitting against one another, that, the idea that, that theology is this cold, dead knowledge that, that doesn't actually put any boots to the ground and get anything done. Uh, it doesn't make anybody love Jesus more. And it's just, it's, it's a false equivalency. Like they're, they are theology informs our love for Jesus. Right. So when I say I love Jesus, um, that love for Jesus is informed about a certain body of knowledge about him. That we find in the book of scripture. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So we, we've talked a little bit about the fact that human beings are created for theology. We've looked over the contours of theology. Let's look at the context of theology, in particular, in particular for the Christian today. And here I just want to briefly unpack this theme that is found in the, in the New Testament, this theme of uh, a pilgrim theology, if you will. Th- this theme of uh, being a pilgrim or sojourner fills the New Testament. The Christian is a dual citizen. A, a two-age sojourner, as my friend in New Zealand says, Michael Beck. He's, he's traveling to the heavenly city, and at the same time, he's been sent into the earthly city as an ambassador. Christians are to be in but not of, distinct from, yet on mission, pilgrims, yet indigenous. They are to love their city, yet love a greater city to come. Their king is Christ, their identity is Christ, their hope is in the return of Christ, and they are on, on mission sent by Christ into the world. So let me just read a couple of verses to hopefully help you see this theme. John 17, 15 through 18, Jesus in his high priestly prayer praying for Christians says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Philippians 3, 20 through uh, verse 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to to subject all things to himself. Peter begins in his very first epistle by calling the church those who are elect exiles. But this theme is, is covers and oozes out everywhere in the New Testament. And part of our goal in this podcast is to talk about theology in such a way that you see, Christian, that theology is for the whole church, for the ordinary Christian. For the ordinary Christian who enters enters into what appears to be ordinary and mundane tasks, repetitive things, 
And that's that's our aim in this in this podcast is to talk about theology for sojourners who are on their way to the heavenly city. You have anything to add to that, Spence? Before I hit a couple pillars of uh, this this idea of pilgrim theology. Yeah, I mean, so like you were hitting on, we want we want to be able to talk about theology in a way that that all believers can grasp and can apply it to their lives. Um, it's crucial to study theology, right? It's crucial to grow in our knowledge of Christ um, in accordance to the scriptures. But it's important also that we can use that knowledge to in to fuel our lives as believers as well. That's probably all that I would add. Yeah, absolutely. And in a future episode, we'll flesh out Pilgrim Theology a bit more and talk about how it it really safeguards theology from from uh, becoming something it wasn't meant to be, yeah. and and gives the the theologian, which every Christian should be, uh, gives the theologian a theology that is both Christ centered and eschatologically driven. But we'll we'll unpack that a little bit more. But maybe let me just ask this question, and I'll answer it for us. As you think about this idea that the Christian is a sojourner, a pilgrim, they're a traveler. They're an alien in this world. Well, what direction does a sojourner or pilgrim travel? Are we literally like in Pilgrim's Progress, that famous John Bunyan book, walking to a particular destination and when we get there, we can enter the heavenly city? Well, no. It's a metaphor. But in this life, as we await for our Lord to return, the pilgrim, the Christian pilgrim, walks to and from the Lord's day where they rest and they taste in part the heavenly city. And then they are re-equipped to be ambassadors in this age, Monday through Saturday. Yeah. I just want to close and in our show notes tabs, we're going to have a couple resources for those of you interested in digging more into Pilgrim theology. I've already referenced John Bunyan's masterful work, Pilgrim's Progress. You should read that. Michael Horton has done a, a ton of work on this and even written a systematic theology uh, meant for uh, Christian disciples called Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples. But while mentioning Horton, let me let us close this episode with this quote from Horton. And this actually comes from uh, his larger systematic theology uh, called The Christian Faith, a systematic theology for pilgrims on the way. And Horton closes his very first chapter with this. So, let us attend together to the greatest drama ever staged, to a script whose performance draws us in, not as the original characters themselves, yet also no longer merely as spectators, but as a growing cast of pilgrims making their way together behind their royal redeemer in a procession to the city of God.